Welcome to the Justin Broker Show, where we discuss real estate, financial advice, positive mindset training, and so much more. I hope everybody out there is having a wonderful week. I'm your co-host, Graydon Square. I'm here with your host, the man himself, Justin Fromstein. What's up, Justin? What's up, guys? What's up, Graydon? How are you? Hey, man. I'm trying to be like you. All right. Um, well, you got a lot to do. You're right. You're, you're totally right. And that's kind of what I want to talk about with this particular podcast, which yeah. is how much you actually do. <laughs> I, you, you laugh. <laughs> Because you know how much you actually do, but I don't think a lot of people understand what goes into your your lifestyle and how much you actually move and groove. Like there are times where I'm up at seven thirty eight in the morning, I'll send you a message and you're like, Yeah, man, I'm out here closing the deal, I'm moving, I'm I'm going out to, to, to Mesa Central, wherever you're going. And it's yeah. like most people aren't even up around that time or doing what drinking you're doing. Co- or they're drinking coffee, getting ready to go to work. Yeah, sleeping in. Yeah. So my question is First thing that wakes up when you wake up, what goes through your mind? Gotta do something. So like this morning, I woke up early. I think it was like six thirty in the morning, six six thirty in the morning, and I got in my jacuzzi. And pretty much from there, I was like, all right, you know, I'm, I'm up. Took my little jacuzzi, you know, my back from my jets because I did some cardio and some weights the other day, and so I was like, I need to get loosened up, stretched, got ready, went to the gym, worked out for an hour and fifteen minutes, got out of the gym. Went home real quick, had to grab something I didn't bring to get some checks and stuff for my guy, and I drove to the bank, grabbed some more money out to get pay some other people on the way to my apartment complex. And then got to my apartment complex, met a concrete asphalt guy. Asphalt, not like an ass. <laughs> I was gonna say. Asphalt, you know. Um, and then basically sat with this guy, went through all the numbers, walked the property with him, then talked to all my tenants. Found out what's going on. Well, I'd say like half my tenants were home. The other half were working. Um, Talked to them, saw what's going on, putting improvements in my apartment complex, spending probably close to $40,000 to rehabilitate the property, like Mm -hmm. outside basically, like roads, kind of like the whole outside, clearing the the trees that are there, basically opening it all up, making it nicer, also giving it like a little play center for the kids so the people who live there have like a little community they can use, Mm -hmm. um, making the basketball hoop nicer. And make just giving it a better a better a better facelift and being a better landlord than than pretty much like the previous person that I owned it with. Now you're the owner of this property, yeah. so you don't necessarily have to have a hands-on approach, do you? Well, I feel like no. I mean, I, I guess I could just like whatever, not care. But my thing is, I just have noticed that there's just so much that needs to get done, and instead of me delegating it to other people and then getting being all confused about what goes on. I just wanted to have a hands-on ap- approach to it. And I also wanted to know, I haven't been there in like eight months. So mm-hmm. I wanted to see what was going on, but it was actually really good for me to go because actually a lot of my tenants are solid, you know, good people. And, uh, you know, they're not loaded, but they're good people. And they pretty much just, you know, they were all super happy that I'm going to do that. Absolutely. So let me back up for a second because I don't want to gloss over kind of your early morning uh, routine as you get to a place like your apartment complex and you're making, you know, assessments on the fly as to what needs to be done, the deal that you're working out with your contractor and all that stuff. My question to you is how much thought when you're at the gym goes into the rest of the day? How much are you you're not feeling anxiety? Are you are you um, are you excited about the day? How much emotion goes into the thinking throughout the rest of the day when you're working out? So. I used to think about everything, right? So I used to go to the gym, I'd say in my 20s. And like it didn't matter what it was. I had something going on. I felt like I noticed when I go to the gym, my mind is clear. 
So that's when like thoughts pop into my head. Things like, oh, that's a good idea, Justin. You know, just random stuff will pop in my head. And it actually is a peaceful thought where it's calm and I'm able to make better decisions being in. I always see that when you're calm, you make better decisions than when you're irate or upset or frustrated or emotional. So I definitely feel like when I'm calm in the gym and I work out, I'm able to really know, oh, wow, that, I need to do that. You know, this comes in my head. So I'll have like, for instance, you know, I'll be thinking about wholesaling and like who I'm going to hire because I've interviewed like 10 people and be like, well, who do I like at all the people I've interviewed? <clears throat> and then I'll just like in something, a name will pop up in my head and I'll be like, oh, okay. All right. That sounds good. And then it'll, it'll be like just little things like, okay, that got done, that got done. And one thing I also notice is when I pray, and I'm in the gym and I'll pray and I'll say, okay, God, you know, God, give me a blessed workout give me, you know, clear minded, you know, don't have me stressed out when I'm in the gym, let me work out. And then, you know, I'll take on my day. What I've noticed is it's like amazing to me how I've seen the transformation in my own life where I've seen myself really change. Um, where like I go to the gym now and I'm not overwhelmed. I'm just like, I got to do, I, you know, when I leave, I'm like, Hey, I got to do this, but I'm not overwhelmed in the gym. Um, same thing when I go golfing, when I go golfing, I turn my phone off usually because the phone will just drag me down. If yeah. I start seeing there's a plumbing leak or there's electrical just went out, like I'll, I'll be like, Oh crap, I got to get involved. <clears throat> when I turn my phone off, believe it or not, miraculously, this is, this is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. I'll go play golf and I will literally turn my phone off for five hours. What's funny is I'll get a message and somebody will solve their own problem. <laughs> right. So within five hours, somebody solved their own problem. So like four or five things I was going to be stressed about, the people figured out themselves. And that's kind of amazing is that if you really do take time off, and this is another thing I do too when I take a vacation, people are always like, man, do you work on vacation? Of course I do. Of course I work on vacation. But I also enjoy vacation, but of course I work a little bit. What I will tell you is my work is not the same. When I'm on vacation, I'm like, hey, I'm on vacation. But it could be something simple. Like my guy wants to ask me like, hey, Justin, on your vacation, I have one question. And most of my guys are pretty cool. They'll just ask me one. They, they'll try to leave me alone. Hey, did you want to go with matte black or gold? <laughs> something <laughs> something so minuscule. Right. Right. But they just don't want to screw up. They don't want to make a mistake. Yeah. So they'll be like, hey. And I'm like, you could have texted this to me. But they're like, you're in Mexico, bro. They don't have good text messages. Like, like if they text me, I may not get it. Right. So – that's something I noticed. So on vacation, but what I also realized when I go on vacation, I come back even busier. Like I have way more business going on. But, it's like you but, take the time off, you come back, it's even busier. But when you're on that vacation, do you actually struggle to turn your mind off? It depends. So if I'm like, for instance, when I went to Cancun in July, I went on a boat, went on a yacht, didn't think about nothing. Okay. If I'm in the hotel room, right. And all I'm doing is talking to Giselle, my girl, like, Hey, Giselle, you know, this was, this was a great time over there, you know? Yeah, my mind will, you know, wander, yeah. right? Um, but if I'm doing something, you know, with my lady and my friends, I don't typically think about work. Interesting. Um, but if I'm not doing something, my mind will go to like, oh, what about this? What about this? Also, when I'm on the airplane, when I'm on the airplane, I listen to like Kevin Hart's book. I'll listen to, you know, 50 Cent's book. I'll listen to Positive Affirmations. Um maybe I'll watch a movie for an hour or two. It depends on how long my flight is. Yeah. 
most of my flights when I go places are like seven, eight hours. And I'm going to be going to Paris in December. I was going to say, unless you're crossing the ocean. Yeah, that's, that's like you know. 16, 17 hours to go there. So, yeah, it's going to be like almost a whole day in the air. But, yeah, I mean, I would say it's it depends. It depends. Absolutely. So, you know, when you're talking about going on vacation and making sure that you're balancing enjoying your vacation with turning your mind off for work and stuff like that, um, you know, most people don't have the issues of like having to be on call in that way, but you do. Um, yeah. When did you learn that the job that you do is a 24 hour on call, kind of like a doctor, right? Like your your phone's never really off. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, it sucks. You know, it does suck. I will tell you that it does suck. You know, let's be honest, like being always available, it can have a weight on somebody. Um, one of the things I realized is sometimes I'll just say, hey, this weekend, my phone's off. You know, I'm just not going to work. Because I feel like with phones, with cell phones especially, you're, you get a text, you get an email, you're going to look at it. And then you're going to be like, got to get something done. And it's just going to be another thing and another thing and another thing. But if you turn it off <clears throat> and you say, hey, I'm turning this off. I'm not, gonna, I'm not here. I'm going to be with my kids. I'm going to be with my family. I'm not going to be on the phone. When you do that, it's, it's almost even better. Like, I, I hate to say this, but I do have a phone because, you know, I do have a family. And if something happens, I want to be on call too. But if I'm with my family, I don't need my phone on me. Mm. So that's where for me, like if I'm out and about, yeah, and I'm not with my fam, then yeah, I want to keep my phone just because I can get all of them too. But at the same time, delegation as an owner is all about delegation. And one of the things that I'm working on right now as myself is delegation, like delegating things mm. is going to de-stress me and it's going to make things better. But at the same time, I got to trust the people I delegate things to and I got to make sure these people are accountable and I got to make sure they actually care. They're not just doing it. Because of you know a paycheck, they're doing it because they actually care. Because you know money isn't everything, like we've talked about. Yeah, money's nice. It's nice to have it, but it's not everything. Ultimately, your relationships are what really creates that bond. You know, the relationships you have with people. But why do you think there's that misconception, right, of that that money has the transformative ability to solve problems that money don't really create? That money doesn't really create. So if you have a particular anxiety that's not related to obviously your bills and stuff like that, right? Sure. Like most people, if you live in first world America, you know, where your next meal is going to come from, probably not as much of a, a, of a struggle as let's say living in a second or third world country. Sure. But you're still going to have anxiety, right? Sure. Um, I think for a lot of people, there's, there's no reference point for that anxiety of, of being on call all the time or having to be available all the time. Yeah. And I think when you speak to that with people, their mind kind of goes, their, their eyes roll back because it's like, well, I don't really know what it's like to, to be like that. Um, let me ask you this question because I know yeah. we get into the real estate aspect of this and you've talked to me about the Burr method of yeah. real estate, right? Yep. Can you explain to people what the Burr method is? So something that I've done, I just started doing this a few years ago, but basically you buy a property, mm -hmm. you go ahead and you renovate it, right? So you walk it, you see what it needs to be do to renovate it. And then you basically refinance it once it's renovated, right? Or you get, well, I'd say you, you refi it after you put a tenant. You put a tenant in it, you rehab it, you put a tenant in it, and then you refi it, <clears throat> and then you basically rinse and repeat. So you do it again and again and again. The nice thing, the nice thing about that is, 
if you have equity, if you buy homes at a discount, you put the money into it, usually you have equity. And sometimes you can cash out, sometimes you can't. It just depends on the deal. But if you buy it right, you should be able to cash out of the rehab money that you put down in your down payment, and then you can just use it over and over and over again to keep growing your portfolio that way. Wow. How long did it take you to figure this method out? Well, a lot of people have talked to me about it, um, and everybody has their opinion, right? It, it's been around for a little while. I mean, you can Google it. You'll see it. Um, but actually how to implement it is the hard part, right? Because you got to make sure you have good credit, make sure you make good income, be able to get the loans, right? To get the right loan, get the right interest rate. Those are other factors. It's not just like you can just walk into a bank and go, I have good credit, you know, give me a loan. Yeah. You have to actually have the income, not just the rental income. You have to actually have the income on top of that. So this year, 2021, I have applied for $1.3 million new build, um, $250,000 HELOC on one of my properties, um, probably in the neighborhood of like 5 to $6 million in refis for rentals. And I've seen a lot. I've learned a lot this year, especially with what's out there and how to do it. And so ultimately, the first thing is find the right property. You know, um, everybody's got a different cap rate. Cap rate is basically what it makes, you know, the cash flow. Um, most people that I've noticed are wanting, you know, really good cash flow, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10%. That's a good example of a good cap rate. I mean, some people think five is a good cap rate. It, de- it also depends on where you buy, right? So if you buy in California, you're not going to get a freaking nine, ten cap rate. You're going to be lucky to get like three. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> Based on where you're at. Depends on what part, but I'm, I'm thinking like L.A., Huntington Beach. It's it's harder. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't. People, a lot of people buy buildings not just for the cash flow, but for the appreciation. Mm. So like you get paid. So like the average building goes up, let's just say, I mean, they say five to ten percent a year is what your building goes up. So if you have a ten million dollar building, there you go. You're getting half a million to a million in equity a year. Okay. Now, if you bought a property in 0809, you probably got more than that, right? You probably got more than five percent. You probably are now over like two, three hundred percent from what it was because you bought it at the crash. So it just depends on where you bought and what you bought. Um, what I've seen. Is every investor is different. You know, I've talked to investors who have like, hey, if it's at 7%, I'll buy it. If it's at 8, I'll buy it. I've seen people who are like 15%. Like I just talked to one guy, one of my buddies who's like, hey, I, if I don't make 15%, I don't even want to do it. And I'm like, bro, you're really going to turn down a deal that makes 12%? <laughs> you know what I mean? Plus the appreciation it's like 17% of your money. That's not bad money. Right. It's not like that. It's that hard to do that. So You think that's just his kind of rigidity on, on what he wants to make? I... I I would say that like everybody, like even myself, everybody wants the most they can get, you know, like <clears throat> everybody wants to get the best cash flow they can, right. you know, but they also got to realize now it's 2021 and properties have gone way up. So is it easy to find 15%? No, it's not. Yeah. And it, it goes back to the point I was making too about the idea of like, is that 15% the difference between the 12% really going to solve the problem that you're probably trying to solve? You know, if, if, if you're just in a, I don't know, money-making state of mind, and you're like, okay, I'm just trying to get what I'm trying to get. I don't think the difference between 12 and 15% really is going to make that much of a difference, but am I wrong? I mean, when you're talking about $50,000, $60,000, you probably... You know, the the number... So let's just say you buy a million-dollar building. Mm-hmm. 3% is $36,000 a year, right? So in a million-dollar building, that's $36,000, okay? Um, if you're hypothetically speaking it's not really like with cat with cash flow like let's say you buy a million dollar building your cash flow is 120 grand a year 
if you had a mortgage to, let's say that takes $45,000, right? You're probably going to still, you know, even if you're at $50,000, a year, you're probably not going to net that. You're probably going to net more like half of that. So it's like thirty five grand a year residual on a million dollar building if you have a mortgage. If you don't have a mortgage, you'll probably make you know, 80, 90 grand. Mm-hmm. The reality is most people don't have a million dollars cash to go buy a building. Right. And if they did, would they buy that building? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But what most people that I met who are renters, they're all not looking at the cash flow. They're looking at the appreciation. The cash flow is nice. It's nice to get a check. You know, let's just say you get ten percent on your money. So if you have thirty six thousand dollars a year coming in on a three four hundred thousand dollar house, great. That's great money. But if you if you're a person that has the cash flow, but then also Arizona is notorious for appreciation, great appreciation. I mean, we got thirty percent in a year so far. So think about it. If you would have bought a year ago and your cap rate was only 6%, but you made 30%, but you bought in an area that's 15%, but, but the property didn't go up, who won? The guy who bought in Arizona. Right. Because he made 36%, right? So it depends on that. It depends on appreciation. Because I've I've met a lot of people that are like, hey, you know, go buy over here, go buy over here. And I'm like, well, I like AZ because appreciation kills it here. Yeah. Like are we, there any other similar uh, areas? That, Vegas has okay. been good. Yeah. California has been good. Yeah. Um I I don't know too much. I know Seattle's been good. But I mean you can look. You can Google what's the top markets and they'll tell you. Phoenix was like one, the Vegas was like two or three. How does that change as people migrate from places like California with cash flow? Because well, essentially they're selling homes for let's say four or five hundred thousand and then moving out here and trying to invest in and get into those properties. Most people out in California are selling homes for a million plus. Oh, man. <clears throat> They're not four or five hundred grand. Yeah. <clears throat> Unless you're buying like the rural town or like not a big city, but they're probably more like seven or eight yeah. million, million two. So, like, hypothetically, you bought a house in California. I grew up in San Diego. Let's say you bought a property back when I was a kid. That was in like 83. Okay. If you would have, so now you know how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> He's dating himself. Yeah. You, you, can, you can figure out how old I am. Um, but let's just say hypothetically, you put in, I don't know, you bought a property in 83 in California. That would have been like $100,000 per house back then. So let's go, let's just go, what, 38 years later. How much is that? So 38 years later, that $100,000 house, guys, is probably 1.5. Okay. Yeah. So let's do the math. How many times did that go up? 10? 10x? 12x? At least. So about 12 times. So if you would have bought a property in 83, you would have made 12 times your money in 40 years. Okay, not bad, right? Not bad. What if you bought 10 of those? What if you use the burn method and you bought 10 of those properties? So to me, it's not the cash flow only. It's the value that it goes up. So like, for instance, my apartment complex went up by freaking like 600 grand over the last year. Mm -hmm. You can't even find my apartment complex on the market for less than 2 million right now. There's nothing out there. I only owe like 600 grand on it. So I got a $1.4 million in equity. So somebody says to me, well, I wouldn't pay, I wouldn't buy that for two million. I don't care. You don't have to buy it today. But in 40 years from now, 30 years from now, 20 years from now, it'd be worth $10 million. If you would have bought a multifamily complex in LA in the 90s, early 90s, probably cost you half a million dollars. What's it worth now? At least three to five. 
or more or more right like right? I mean, and this, you're talking about deep in la or somewhere like, where it's it, like dude, it, could it could be, be in the hood it yeah. could be in crenshaw yeah, still probably seriously. three four five yeah. million dollars okay yeah. so let's be straight here so if you were an entrepreneur and you took your your money i don't care what you did you you owned a business you sold liquor you sold drugs whatever you bought Shit, a lot of drug dealers buy real estate. I was going to say, you know, if you give a lot of dudes who are in the streets legal hustles, yeah. they're still a hustler. Still a hustler. Still a hustler. You're going to get out there and get that money. So I if mean, you show somebody a legal, a legit way to get that money that involves real estate, they're going to do it. I knew a guy who had a karate center. The dude made like 300 grand a year. He bought himself an apartment complex. Okay? He karate teacher. Nothing special. It wasn't like a millionaire. Dude made 300 grand a year as a karate teacher. Oh, his own dojo. Bought himself a building. Building's worth like $10 million. That's retirement right there. One building. How much you do you think you should have in cash flow or, or um, in net worth before you start looking at buildings? So I, I, I didn't start messing around with them until I was in the millions. You know, until I made over a million a year. Because you realistically, like, yeah, you can buy a building if you, you know, depending on what you get proof for, if you make three, four, five hundred grand a year, you can buy one, you know. Um, but I wanted to have capital because I wanted to be able to remodel them, put money in them. Because like anything, you have tenants. Some don't pay me. Some are late. Some, you know, I. <laughs> some you find in the bushes. No, I'm just kidding. Some I find in the bushes <laughs> doing coke or crack or whatever. Um, but, yeah, normally you got you have people that are not going to pay you. And you're going to have people that trash your place. And you're going to have people that mess with you. And you're going to have people that freaking shit. We had one lady burn the house down. But we have insurance, yeah. You know, and we wow. got paid. We got paid out. But I mean, it what's, the, what's that call like? Well, we got a call from the fire department. This is like two years ago. And we got a call from the fire department, and they're like, "Hey, uh, actually, it was even crazier than that. The, one of the dudes was on meth. He blew up a propane tank. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Did you see that explosion that happened downtown in Phoenix like a couple weeks ago? No. Yeah, somebody's like, uh, I don't know if it was a chemical shop or something, but it like blew up. It was on the news blowing up. No, I didn't see that. But there's been some explosions and burnouts. Yeah, there's, I mean, we, it depends on the tenant, but we had a guy that was, he was just gone. He was gone. And he was getting evicted. And we told him, hey, man, you've, we gave him three months. Like, hey, you haven't paid rent in three months. You need to get out. You've had three months. This is before COVID. And the guy's like, no, man, fuck you, motherfuckers. And we're like, all right, dude, you got to go. Well, he he got kicked out by the police. He went back. He Aww. broke he broke in the window. Because, I mean, we're talking the same day. Kick him out the same day he broke in. We couldn't even get a tenant in there yet. And he broke in, and he blew up a propane tank in the building. That's crazy. And he didn't die, which blew me away, too. I'm like, how did this dude? He was in the building. In the building when it blew up. And he survived. I don't know if he went in a bathtub. I don't know what he did, but he survived. That's some Indiana Jones type shit. <laughs> <laughs> he gets in a refrigerator for the explosion. I don't know what he did, but he blew it up. And then that's when the gas company got called out. Because whenever you, I don't know if you know this, but if there's gas at a blowout, they have to turn the gas off immediately because it can take out the whole block. Mm. So they came out there. The dude was butt naked. Ran out. I heard about the whole thing. I wasn't there, but it was like, I think it was like five in the morning or something. And everybody was out there. You know how everybody's got their iPhones out? Oh, yeah. Everyone's out their iPhone. They're filming this guy. Did you see pictures and video? I got some, but it was, you know, not everybody's a photographer. I... <laughs> you ever get a video, you're like, what is this? What are you doing? Is this guy in the bush? Hold it straight. Keep yeah. It still. I had like a video that looked like they caught an alien. You ever see those ones? Yes. 
You're like, this is not an alien. Yeah. This is just you running through the bushes. Hell, I feel that way about Bigfoot. <laughs> like, you see these Bigfoot footage uh, videos, and it's like, that looks like a hairy dude. I'm sorry. That looks just like a tall. That, look, that looks like my homie at the gym <laughs> plays football. Absolutely. So you get calls, obviously, about explosions and gas stuff. We've but you it. talked about insurance. So yep. in this Burr method, I'm, I'm assuming you factor in the insurance for each property. You want to insure them and you want to make sure it's insured well. You want to make sure that it's covered for renters and stuff like that. And then when you rent it out, you want to make sure your renters have insurance too. Say, hey, they don't have to get it. You basically just disclose, hey, look, I want you to have insurance for your stuff. Obviously, my property is insured, but for your own personal items, hey, you can get insurance. It's like 30 bucks a month to cover like your own stuff. So it's worth it for people if they're worried about getting broken into or stolen. But ultimately, yeah, insurance, property taxes, Rental taxes, all of that's factored in. So, like, if if you're, so that's why the, the cap rates goes down, right? So, like, if you have a rental property and let's say you're like, oh, it's a million dollars, Justin, like, you're renting out ten units at twelve hundred bucks a piece in Phoenix, that's like twelve grand, you know, fifteen grand. Why are you not making fifteen grand a month? Well, they don't factor in that I'm paying property taxes, I'm paying the insurance, I'm paying the wa- I'm paying their water bill, yeah. I'm paying the mortgage on it, I'm paying insurance. I'm paying for repairs. Now, how much would the mortgage be on that million-dollar property? I think you said that earlier. Right now, I'm, I'm getting loans at like 4%. Okay. So probably around six grand a month, 5500 six grand a month with taxes and insurance in there. Six, probably six. And in order to, to get approved for something like that, you just have to show that you have the equity and cash flow and other, other properties and also be able to pull – the money necessary in order. Yeah, to you need in. like so you need either to have equity or a down payment. So if you're buying, if you're re, so, it all depends on what you're doing. So if you, so with me, I've actually bought people out and then just refied out of it, and then I've also just bought it with a purchase. So it just depends on the situation. There's so many different ways to get deals, and it's not one way. One thing I like the most is buying a distressed asset, fixing it up, and renting it all out. But a lot of people don't want to deal with that. Mm. A lot of people just want to buy something already done. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's just maybe they just don't have the time. Like, if you're at a point where you're like, hey, I just want to buy the building. I'll let somebody else make all the You know what I mean? I just want a little bit of cash flow. I'm not stressed out about it. Like, I don't need 50%. I'm happy with five or six. I'll hire a property management company and all that. You'll do all that. You're going to, you know, it all depends on your level. Now, now I've heard that as well uh, as far as, and I think that's a good point, where you talk about it being about your level and your experience being a determining factor as to what you can do. Um, but I've heard you speak about property management companies before. Um, what can you say about their their role? I know you said they could probably take somewhere between six to eight percent. So that's probably like half of, of what you know. Uh, no, 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 no. So of the rent. Oh, okay. I see what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. So if okay. the rent's ten grand. They're taking six hundred to nine hundred bucks. And it's a company. Yeah, the company will like help you rent the unit. It, so every company is different. So okay. like. I don't want to give information out and then people go, well, I'd call the company and they're at 9%. Or I call the company at 8 <laughs> The reality is it's all negotiated. Like, just like you're listing your house. You can pay somebody 6%. You can also pay a discount brokerage. You know, you can also sell your home on your own. So, yeah, I could say, oh, well, yeah, you know, Justin recommended me hiring a realtor at 6 No, I did not say that. I'm just saying these are the numbers. There's a lot of numbers out there. Same thing with painting. You could buy, this is, a, I'm going to give you, I'm going to blow your mind a little bit. Okay. So, you want to paint your house, right? <laughs> if I tell you you can get a five gallon jug for fifty bucks, do you think that's the best paint out there? I don't think so. It's the shittiest. Yeah, paint. yeah. It's the shittiest paint. Fifty yeah. bucks for a five gallon. What do you think good paint costs? 
that's going to actually stick to your building and not go away in five years. Or like 50 bucks a gallon. Maybe 50 bucks every two gallons. It's about 150 bucks. Okay. So about a hundred, so about three times the price. Okay. Okay. But if I told you, Hey man, I have a rental and I use the cheapest paint. It's 50 bucks, you know, for the paint. I repaint every year. You're like, well, that makes sense. But if I go in there and put really high end paint in a rental, it doesn't matter. Cause when that person moves out, it's always shitty. You always got to repaint. Mm. So you're better off buying the cheapest shit because you don't really want to spend the money, right? Same thing with faucets. You're not going to go put a tenant in there. You're not going to go buy them a $300 faucet. You're going to buy your tenant like a $20 faucet. So unless you go live in a high-end place, then you might buy them a $40 faucet. Right? Yeah. But what a lot of people don't realize is that everything is subjective. Just like tile. You go to Floor and Decor. You can go look at tile. It's 5 bucks a square foot. You got another tile. It's 80 cents. What am I going to use? Probably the 80 cent tile if I'm flipping and it looks decent, yeah. which I do. But if I was putting it in my own house, I paid three bucks a foot. Okay. So your remodel can change drastically by what you put in. And any any flipper on this podcast will know that. Yeah. You can go buy a light fixture for a hundred dollars. You can buy a light fixture for five bucks. Now, Which one do you want to get? No, you're if you're talking about spending and trying to negotiate cost, how much does that factor into the overall after repair value? Of the, the the listing of the property, rentals, because you, rentals it, don't matter. Okay, so, yeah. So if, if you're you spending so much more money, it's not going to raise no. the value that much more. Not at all. Not on rentals. Rental properties are going to go just so the way that multifamily is done and calculated by appraisers is off cash flow. They don't come in. They don't value it the same way as a, as a house, right? Okay. So if you're an appraiser, right, and it makes sense. So if you got ten units, right, or twenty units, or thirty, it's the same thing. And that property makes ten grand a month. They're going to value the the building based on what that cash flow will bring an offer to, because everybody buying in that price range knows what the cash flow needs to be to bring an offer. Makes sense. Yeah. So they're educated. Like most people buying those are educated. Okay, if I buy this for a million dollars and I have to put two hundred fifty thousand dollars down and my payments can be X, and then I'm going to have all these things. They're going to know all that going in. But there's no extra money. Like if you go out, if you go have a rental, now, if you build a brand new building, obviously. You know, that's different. I'm talking about buying an existing complex. I'm not talking about like brand new buildings and stuff like that. If you buy a brand new building and you do a half ass remodel, then yeah, you're gonna it's gonna be worth less. But it's also location, location, location. So with multifamily, where I'm at, my my complex is on 40th Avenue and like Roosevelt. That's not like a high end area. That's mm-hmm. like rough Phoenix. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But if I had a property in Scottsdale, I probably could do I have to do it differently. You know, if I had a property in Cave Creek, I'd have to do it differently. Yeah. And if I had a property in Gilbert, I'd have to do it differently. If I had a property in Mesa, it'd probably be the same, you know, depending on where it's at. Right. But it's just where it's at. Location and then what you do to it. But again, appraisers, if it's over four units, so anything under four units is considered residential. Anything over four units is considered commercial. Now, you're talking about four. For a loan. For housing units, right? You're actually saying like if it's a quadplex, that's like a four still pl- that's fourplex is considered residential. residential. Okay, anything above that is commercial. commercial. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So let's say you want to buy a fourplex, you can get a residential loan for that. Anybody can go get a residential loan. You can go live in one of the units, rent out the other three, and make money, and that could be a viable option for you. You know, you go buy one, you move another, and you rent out the other ones. So you don't have to have roommates; you just have your own unit. Yeah. That's a viable option. It's a good investment. Right now, I don't necessarily think I'd buy any because the prices are real high, but you know, watch the market and see when your time is to strike, right? If that's something you want to do. But what I would say is what I think the best investment that I've seen hands down is apartment complexes. Um, residential houses are not a bad play. 
Um, but I, it's a lot more management. So like, let's think of this. If you have a hundred rental houses, it's a lot more management than a hundred units at one location. Yeah. Cause they're all there. That's a good point. They're all there. So it's way easier to manage that than to manage like, Oh, I got a drug. Oh, I got a hundred houses. I got to send a hundred. Think about it this way. If you have a maintenance issue, if you have an apartment complex, that maintenance guy can go there and knock out all the units and not charge you gas and time. If you have a house, He's gonna drive from you to here to the next one to the next one to the next one, and then you're like you're paying all this money. The guy's like, "Well, I spent 150 dollars in gas, so I gotta charge you 100 dollars an hour." Right. So I went all over that. Versus, I got handymen that are 40, 50 bucks an hour. They're like, "Hey, I'll do everything." Now, you know? can can you have a single company manage different uh, residential properties? Like it, instead of having a a company do a commercial property with more than four units, can you have one do can you have one manage four residential units at different locations? Is there is there companies that do that as well? Yeah, there's companies that do all types of management. Yeah. There's people that do mobile home complexes. There's people that do um, apartments. There's people that do houses. People that do townhomes, condos, patio homes. It's all. But typically what you do is you just ask them, like, hey, do you manage? What do you manage? Property management is a lot of work. Um, it is not for the faint of heart. You're going to do Trust me, I've <laughs> I've had uh, my lady literally manage properties for me, and some are easy. Some like you have no issues, yeah, like zero. And some it's like every day there's something. Damn. Usually it's apartments. There's <laughs> always something. But what I found is it's also a lot of landlords are freaking scumbags, bro. I bought a I bought last year about ten rental properties. Every single rental dude that I bought. These landlords are like not fixing anything. Like, it it's sad to say this, but you don't know who to believe. You mm. know, you don't know if it's the landlord or if it was the the tenant. It's like a cat and mouse game. Neither one wants to admit what they did. Yeah. So, what do you think about you know you you speak about location, and I'm assuming that informs how tenants act and how you know people will keep up stuff. Um, but I always wonder about the necessity of like people feeling like they need to be more informed to make a decision in getting into real estate. Um, because I feel like a lot of people feel so intimidated by so much of the information that they don't know, right? If you've never been in this industry before, I'm sure you have more questions than anybody's there to answer. And I know not everybody's out there to have a, a mentor or anything like that. But what would you say to people actually going to assess properties, looking at the different area, how would you, you, you know, you, you spoke about location, location. How would you suggest that people assess the surrounding area of a location if they don't have the experience? So so one thing I would I tell everybody is um, a realtor is your best friend. If you find somebody that's solid, I, I would say that finding a realtor would help you identify. So it's kind of tricky. Realtors are, we, we, I'm a real estate broker, but I had to pass a test that basically said I can't, the term is um, not redlining, redlining is picking an area they can lend in, but steering. Okay, steering is a real estate term, all right? It basically means like, hey, Graydon, you know, you're, you know, I'll just call it as your black guy. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to go put you in a black neighborhood. No, you think. <laughs> but it means steering basically means like, hey, you're black. Let me put you in this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. That's steering. That's what it is. It's illegal. It's not legal at all. I think, But it was done a lot back in the day. Interesting. Lot, I, I'm sorry. I, I got to pick on this. Sure. So that was something that was done a openly. Lot. Absolutely. All yeah. over L.A. I mean, where you grew up in, yeah. in Granger, that's what it was done. Why do you think it's so segregated? Yeah. 
why do you think like if you go across the freeway, it's black and Mexican, and you go to the other freeway, it's all white people? But it's, it was, I guess the assumption was that that wasn't done openly, more subversively. Well, when it was done, it's sneaky. <laughs> so it'd be like, hey, you'll feel more comfortable around your own. Ah. versus like, hey, we're not going to put you in Redondo Beach. We're going to put you in, you know, Inglewood. Yeah, in, in Watts. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and you're saying it's illegal to do that now. legally. Okay. Yeah, Google, I think it's like, if you Google it on the computer, but it should say steering was illegal, I think in like 88. Okay. I think off the top of my head. So for the last like 32, 33 years. But it was still being done after that. It just it just started becoming more and more. But there's an offense. You get like, if you're a realtor and you do that, you get like a fine and then you can get kicked out of your license and all that. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that will actually show you. Like if you look at history, you'll realize like, wow, there's a lot of stuff that was done mm-hmm. that like I didn't even know about. Like, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood and there was everything in my neighborhood. Like I had every race possible. I didn't know that they blockbusted where I grew up. But I grew up in San Diego and Poway. They didn't really, I didn't really see that, right? Mm-hmm. But then I hear about like LA and Long Beach and Inglewood and, and I'm like, wow, that's kind of, <laughs> LA was kind of very iconic. Oakland, you yeah. know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I did start realizing like Chula Vista, um, San Marcos, certain areas that I, I would, I started seeing it. as I got older. I'm like, wow, that's really true. Like this actually happened, and wow, it's crazy. Like I didn't even think it. You know, when I learned that in real estate school. The other one was blockbusting. So the other one that they used to do, and this is highly illegal, is you knock on your door. You know, knock on the door. You know, and they say, "Hi, how are you? Hi, Graydon. Hey, hi." Hey. And they're real nice, like, "Hey, um, just so you know, because I'm just gonna say you're a white person, mm-hmm. okay? Hey." A black family just moved in your neighborhood. Your values are going to drop. You need to move. I'll list your house and I'll find you a new house, a new neighborhood, okay? And you'd be like, okay. <laughs> That's what was going on. Mm-hmm. Like heavy Damn. in the 80s. Um, and then the last one was redlining. So redlining was like they actually pick an area, and it was this was for the banks. And they pick an area and they go, we don't want to loan there. We're not going to loan there. It's too many blacks and Mexicans. Interesting. Minorities are not alone to them. And so it was going on a lot, like a lot. And it got to the point where they created these laws, and they're, they're good laws. I mean, it's really benefited society. But they were there. They existed for, what, 100 years prior to that. Mm-hmm. And people were buying real estate and didn't know. Um, and to me, that's like that does affect a lot of things. So when you talk about areas, realtors can't tell you. We're not allowed to tell you, like, oh, this area is good. You can do your own research. So, for instance, what I can say is, hey, go on this website, and it'll tell you about what the school ratings are and everything in this neighborhood. Another one I can't do. Hey, um, here's one that is another illegal one you can't do. So, hey, is there a church in my area? You can't tell somebody that. What? So, as a realtor, I can't tell you, hey, Graydon, there's a really great uh I'll just, I'm not even going to say the religion. Right, but right, for sure. There's a great this over here. I think you'd fit right in, you know, because maybe you told me mm-hmm. you're something. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. That's considered a complete problem. Wow. So as a real estate agent, I can't do that. Now, what I can do is go, hey, Graydon, um, there's this housing development over here. It's in Gilbert. They're building, you know, three, 4,000 square foot homes. Let's go show you the homes, see what you like. And then I could show you the homes. If you look at the neighborhood and you say, I don't like this neighborhood, mm-hmm. that's okay. But I can't tell you that. But and if I say, you know, I'm with my my lady and she's like, I don't really like this neighborhood, right? Yeah. And I'm like, hey, she'll really like this neighborhood. Can can you assuage her concerns? Can you then start telling me stuff about the neighborhood? No. So even if the buyer, potential buyer, is like, hey, I want to know more information. After meeting you, you still can't do it. 
I can only I can only answer stuff about the house, like five bedroom, four bathroom, this much square footage. I'm also not a home inspector. So as a real estate broker, I can't be a home inspector. I can recommend somebody to you. They can inspect the property, but I can't tell you that. Now, obviously, if I walk a house and I see a foundation crack, if I see visual cracks, like if I walk in, I see cracks, I go, hey, great, and see that crack. I can do that. Yeah. I can look at the wall and say, hey, there's mold here. Like I could do that, but I can't tell you like, oh, it's under the ground, it's structurally sound. I don't know that, yeah. right? I can only visual look at it. Yeah. And so, even if you, if you, even if you thought that, you're not licensed enough to make that assessment. I'm not supposed to. Legally, okay. No, yeah, I'm not supposed to give you legal advice. Um, the other, the other thing too, is if there's ever a, like a lawsuit, I can't give legal advice either. I'm kind of neutral. I have to be like, whatever. Um, if I'm told, uh, so let's just say that here's another scenario. So let's say I'm on a listing appointment and this listing lady tells me, Hey, don't tell the buyers there's mold in the attic. I can't do that. Once you tell me as a seller, I have to tell the buyer mm. and everybody else. So there's no like it. confidentiality if it there, affects the buyer. Correct. There's confidentiality in price. Negotiation, you can't tell anybody. Like, I can't say, like, if you tell me I'll take three hundred fifty thousand for the house, I can't tell that buyer who's made a three thirty five offer that you'll take three thirty five. I have to be like, he wants three fifty. That's where it's at. Unless you tell me in writing, hey man, I'll take three thirty five. No problem. Then yeah, you sign the contract, whatever. But I'm limited, and a lot of that is because of what's gone on in the laws and and the scope of realtors. Now, am I going to tell you do all realtors follow that? Hell no. Right. There's definitely there's bad everything, but um. As a broker, I find it very important to just do the tr- the right thing at all times. Like I'd rather tell people, like I personally have told people, like I'd rather not work with you if they start bringing up race. You know, and tell me, oh, you know, I don't want to be around them. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, um, well, then have a nice day. Yeah. How you often know? do you get something like that? A lot. I, I mean, you've worked a with a lot of people. A lot, and it's not just yeah. quote unquote white people. It's everybody. Yeah. Um, I've heard everything. Like. Most of the time, people are very passive aggressive. Mm. Oh, it's just not the right neighborhood for us. And you're like, okay, oh, why? It's just, just, you know, they're there. They're here. You know what I mean? It's very passive aggressive. It's not like blatant anymore. Right. It's very like, well, there's a liquor store on the corner. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you know how, you know what I mean? It's funny to say this, but like. I mean, that's why I like being an investor because yeah. I don't have to get into that shit. I don't have to talk to people. Like, I just do numbers. One thing I love about flipping and wholesaling, I just do numbers. I don't have to be like a therapist. Right. You know what I mean? And I feel like, and I give props to realtors. It's a lot of work to be a realtor. Drive around people, 30, 40, 50 houses. They find the one they like, you make an offer, it's not available. They gotta go show another house, go write another contract. It's a lot of work. And I'm not saying, it, people think like, oh, 3%, so much money. It's really not. If you Sometimes you may, it's like any business. Sometimes you get an easy sale. Sometimes you have a hard sale. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had people that I've, you know, shit, I walked in and bought a Cadillac, right? Bought it cash. The guy told me, he's like, you bought it in five minutes. He goes, another guy, he took him around, showed him like 20 different cars. The guy just kept wasting his time. And I walk in and bought it. Well, what do you say? He took 10 minutes with me and then two hours to sign the paperwork. And then the other guy, he's been working on that guy for months. You know, it's like anything. We all, we work our butt off and sometimes things click and sometimes things don't. And that's just how it is. Yeah. But. There's an element of that too. I think a lot of people struggle with, which is just a part of life, which is you can do everything right and still not get the win, still not close the deal, still not get the sale, still not get the girl, whatever it is. You can do everything right and still fail. That's a part of life as well. I think, I think accepting that, um, that not everything goes your way is a lot better than just thinking like, oh, everything didn't go my way. Yeah. Um, I did a video today on Facebook I posted that I just said, told all my friends, I shouted out to people and I said, hey, life is great. We live in America, we live in the greatest country in the world. 
In my opinion, it is. True that. No, I agree with you. And <laughs> I, saw, I think it's beautiful that we, we can debate. We can talk. We can get our opinion out there. Yeah, we live in a world where there's a lot of stuff going on. But at the same time, we have the benefits of free speech. We can attack. We can sue. We can go after people. We can do what we need to do. Um you know, we live in a country where you can go out and speak BLM. You can go out and be Antifa. You can speak that. Any other country would have just quashed it. Yep. Exactly. So the fact that they had the rights to do that and then the fact that they were able to burn buildings and do all this stuff. I mean, I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but I'm saying, like, think about it. They had that ability, which goes to say that we have a lot more. And you can argue that and say this isn't, you know, this and this and that, Justin. And, I can, and we can go back and forth. But ultimately... One thing that popped in my head this morning was we live in the greatest country in the world. We have the best opportunity to provide for our families and live a great life. Um, but I think it's there's, important. There's an, there's an element about that I think that a lot of people would agree with. And then they still have their, their uh, questions and skepticism, let's say, about the government. I think it's perfectly fine that you can say, hey, I think we live in the, the greatest country on the planet. Sure. And also, I'm very skeptical of my government. Sure. Like, I am very skeptical of political agendas and, sure. you know, particular ideological agendas. Sure. And so, you don't necessarily have to say, like, um, you know, you don't have to recuse yourself from everything. You can also just say, hey, listen, from this particular issue, this is how I feel about this. Yeah. You're welcome to feel however you feel about it. And I yep. think to live in this country and be able to have that ability, in my opinion, validates the greatest country on, on the planet claim. Not even to mention how much we've accomplished in the amount of time we've accomplished it as Americans. We also look. Here's another one. Food. Get anything you want in yeah. America. You go to another country, they don't have the selections we have. Yeah. Um, they don't have the quality control. I know this. I've been around the world. Okay. Some are, some countries have really great food, not going to lie. But we have the benefit of like everything. Country with the best food. I mean, <laughs> I I would say that it depends on where you go, right? Because okay. America has really good food depending yeah. on where you go. So I would say like I don't really name. I definitely don't think when I went to Canada, I wasn't impressed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> i tell you where I was impressed. Where? Acapulco, Mexico. Oh, well, I mean, Mexico's. oh, my goodness. The food there. I mean, I feel like it depends on where you go in Mexico, right? Because yeah. I've been to some places that are amazing and I've been to some places I'm like, ugh. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, I just like the selection. Yeah. You know, I like that in America, you can go if you wanted to get Chinese, barbecue, Indian, French, Jamaican, ja Japanese. Yeah, you could get anything you want in America. So the food choice is, is amazing. The other thing is like, you can any vehicle you want. There's a country I watched um, that was on the news. I forgot which state it was. It was another country in Europe, and they only had Chevys. Like the country only sold Chevys. They couldn't buy a different car. Like the fact that we can get any car we want is amazing. Yeah, we're not stuck. You know, yeah, there's some issues here that we have to work on as a country and as a community. But at the same time, we have a lot of selection. And you know, solar. We can get solar on our house and not have an electric bill. They don't have that everywhere. Um, we can own property. Not every country you can own property the same way we can in America. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that are great, and there's a lot of things we have to work on. Yeah. I, I, I hope that we come to terms with the relationship with our government. I feel like we've gone into a place, because I was going to ask you this just about real estate in general. How much uh, reach does the federal and the state government have in policing the ethics of real estate business? Well, there's a department of real estate, right? And that's so, a federal department? Yeah. Okay. So there's a department of real estate in every state. Uh, well, it's a state department um, in every state. And then there is actually federal real, real estate agents. But um, yeah, there's departments. I would say that, like any department, 
Um, depends on what you do. There's always like, so I look at it like this real estate is kind of similar to policing. If someone's going five miles over on the speed limit, they're probably not going to pull you over. I'm not saying they aren't, or, you know, more likely if you go five miles over, no one's going to dick with you. Similar to real estate. You make one little mistake, probably not going to get in trouble, right? But if you're consistently, you know, making issues and causing problems and cutting people are corners and cutting corners and, and lying to people, you're going to eventually lose your license. Um, that's real. Um, as far as like my opinion about the real estate department, I think the department of real estate is great. Um, I've met the people there. I got disciplined for my real estate license. Did you? Yeah. Um, for what? <laughs> um, I got disciplined. Um, yeah, that's a good. Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about it, I don't know if that's I'll, all you want to talk about. I'll keep it real. Okay. Real PC. So I, um, so in 2011 I was in, I was speeding to the airport. My pop, my father passed away. Mm. Sorry. And yeah, it was it was a rough rough time, and still is I am affected to this day. But you know, um, but yeah, it was one of those things where I was on my I was speeding, you know, and and I wasn't shouldn't have been speeding, but I was speeding there. I was I was rushing to get to my dad's funeral in San Diego, and I got pulled over, and I did resist arrest because I was going 125 miles an hour, Damn. which was a felony. Um, and he tried to arrest me and I said, dude, my dad, I need to get to the airport. I need to go, you know, da, da, da. Cops like get out of the car. And I'm like, no. So he proceeded to grab, bust out my window, grab me through the car, pull me out. And I got tased. (laughs) I've been tased before. And I, and I, yep. And I, by that time there's other cops there by that time. And, um, yeah, I got taken in. I went to jail for a day. I called my attorney. My attorney got me out. But I ended up having to do anger management classes. And I had to report that to the Department of Real Estate. Because you have to report oh. what everything you do. Anything you do. Like, even a speeding ticket. You have to report to the Department of Real Estate. Okay. So, so at the time, I was like, what? I never told the Department of Real Estate. Mm. Never told them anything. So, a year goes by and I get a letter. Hey, you need to... Um, tell us what happened here you know because they notified them yeah they know something happened but they don't know the details exactly Uh exactly so because i didn't come clean and tell them what happened i got basically they they put my license um on i think it's like corrective action Mm -hmm. so i had to go there and i had to basically go to all these classes and i was on probation and i had to tell my broker i had had to work for another broker because i was a broker but i had to go work for a broker and have him basically monitor me to make sure i was doing things legally and doing things right and i did i passed everything and i got my license and i was fine but it was a process man and i started realizing i'm like wow like this exists there is disciplinary actions here and um they're out there um but i learned my lesson you know i'm like well now i know and i like that level of accountability i do feel like even the the people who hold agencies accountable oh they were professions awesome. accountable i feel like they should be held accountable but if they're if you're saying they were awesome that's legit i had um the lady's name was connie but she was a older lady cool as hell and she just told me she's like justin you're a great guy she's like i can tell you're a good guy and can tell you have a good heart she's like i can tell you're a good person but she goes you gotta be you know you gotta live your life right yeah. and so it was kind of funny i got like life advice from her which shout out to connie she was cool as hell um but it really did change me. Um, I should say it really did shape me to be like, okay, cool. I got to be very clear with what I do. And I, if I, if something happens to me now, I know. And then I actually told a lot of people like, did you know if you get a speeding ticket? And, da, 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 da. and you know, you know what I mean? Like I'm talking any speeding ticket. So did you, because you're driving people around in your house, your car. So you were in jail that day. Did you get a chance to get out and make your father's funeral? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, cool, yeah. Cool, so cool. The, so I got arrested like a Friday. <laughs> okay. I got out Saturday morning. The funeral was Sunday. So I got on a plane Saturday and flew out. And um, I had to still go back to court and all that. Yeah. But um, luckily, because they verified, the cop verified, and the judge that my dad was dead. Oh, yeah. They verified. Because that's even worse. They they check and then you lied about no, something like yeah. that. And it's like, yeah, throw the book at this dude. No, yeah. They, they knew. Um, so they gave me, they did remove the felony. They just gave me a misdemeanor. But um, they they told me never do that again. They're like, if someone dies again, you drive normal speed limit. And and I got to say, like, I learned my lesson. I'm not going to drive 140 miles, 130 yeah. miles an hour freeway. So I learned a lot from that. Yeah. Is that the fastest you've ever been, been driving? No. no. <laughs> I used to own a uh, motorcycle. I was a, uh, I owned a Suzuki Jixxer 1100. I know those. I know yeah. Those, are, those are fast. I remember I was riding on the, um, the 60, going out east to uh, Queen Creek or wherever. Okay. I was doing like 100. And yeah. I hit something and i like shook a little bit yeah and had that like flash before your eyes you moment fall off pulled over to the side of the road and i like stopped and i was like okay nope drove home <laughs> parked it never rode it again that's crazy story yeah i rode i rode my uh, motorcycle i t- actually took out a friend of mine this weekend this last weekend i went to uh, up to payson and strawberry and with my buddy and I got butterflies flying in my face. We had our you know our helmets on. Yeah. And we had butterflies just smashing into us Damn. like crazy. It was like my my helmet looked like a butterfly wonderland. And my my motorcycle was all covered in butterflies. And then Jan, my buddy Jan was with me. He's like, Bro, the butterfly hit me in the eyelid. Like it hit him right in the eye, hit his shades on it, it flew right into his eye and it hit it blew, you know, because they smacked. Oh yeah. You're going like 70 miles an hour on the motorcycle. Probably faster. We were going like 70, 75. We didn't go that fast because oh. we had Harleys. We had Harleys. Okay, okay. So we were like the top speed on my Harley is like 95, 100. They, like anything over that, it just gets not comfortable to yeah. ride it. But typically we're going like 75. Are you a fan of are you a fan of uh, Honda bikes as well? Or just Harleys? I drove, so I used to have a Yamaha. I kind of had the same mentality you had. I was like I went really fast. I went like 140 on, on a Yamaha. And I, yeah. Um, but I, I was a speed man. I love speed. Um, I grew up, my mom had the same. My mom used to call herself a bat from hell because yeah. she used to just drive so fast as a kid. When she was when I was a kid, she drove so fast. Lead foot. Just loved speeding. I mean, she grew up in the era where they had cars with like a 1,000 horsepower, you know, just off the, the grid. So she's used to that. But um, my dad would, my dad drove way differently, though. My mm-hmm. dad drove like a boat. You know, I see. He just drove like, like he was driving a so boat. So you get your speed from your mother. Yeah, I was um, very blessed to be lucky. I fell off my bike one time, <clears throat> and uh, I got hit on my bike. From this is crazy story to tell you. Yeah, but I got hit. I was um, I was in Tempe. I was going actually to a friend's house, and uh, I literally was late. It was like, like one in the morning. Usually it's late when you get hit. It's usually not during the daytime. Usually, I should say. And I guess the guy didn't see me. <clears throat> I was lucky. I was like standing up on it. And so when he hit me, he hit the, he hit me, but my leg didn't get hit, but I got thrown off and I was probably only going like 25, 30 miles an hour. Cause I was on a regular side. Show. It was like, it was a like baseline. Yeah. And I got lucky. I wasn't going that fast. I had my helmet on, had all my gear on and I just rolled into the grass. You know, I hit, I hit pretty hard on the side, but, um, my butt hurt real bad and I had, I had a little bit of a rash, yeah. <clears throat> but I didn't ding. I didn't. My head didn't get you know whatever. And the dude ran out. Like he stopped and he ran out and, and like called nine one one and like freaked out because it was it wasn't really his fault. It's just 
freak thing happen. Yeah. And it wasn't like he was aiming for me or looking for none of that. It was just a, just a freak thing happened. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people would be scared, never ride again. You know, I have a lot of friends that got hit, you know, a lot of friends that got hit once and then they'll never ride again. That didn't stop me. Um, one thing I learned is that, and this is probably my faith, if it's my time, it's my time. Mm. You know, I'm not going to be fearful on anything. I'm going to ride my bike. I'm going to enjoy myself. Now, I'm not going to be dumb and go get drunk and ride my bike. That would be stupid. Or yeah. do drugs and ride my bike. That would be dumb. But um, I'm not going to stop. It's it, it's enjoyable. It's freeing. It's relaxing. Um, I love driving in packs. I love riding with my friends because that's even safer. You know, you got your friends all around you. You're all riding together. People see you really easily, yeah. you know. Um, and, and I noticed one thing about motorcycle riding i mean i gotta say this to all the people out there who don't seem to notice motorcycle riders riding around them yeah it's like listen people are out there all we're asking is for you to kind of check your blinders every now and then to make sure that you don't have a rider in your blind spot or something like that but what's interesting is that when you're in a group when you're in a pack most people who are riding in a pack they notice that the cars around them don't drive as erratically and as kind of obliviously as they normally would ride in a one or a two kind of motorcycle situation. So yeah, when you, so like when I've been in a pack of like four or more, people do not get on your ass. It's crazy, but you're by yourself. They're on your ass and I don't get it. I don't understand. I mean, I've, when I drive, and I think being a rider, I respect that. When I see a guy on Agreed. a Harley, I usually give him space, or I'll just like say, you know, I'll, I'll gesture like, "Hey, you want me to go around you or whatever." But not not everyone does that, and I think unless, unless you're a rider or you respect riders or you know what it is, because you don't have a box around you. Yeah. If you fall off, not going to be good. Yeah. If you get hit in a car, it's not going to be good. Yeah. But but if you don't have anything around you protecting you, the only thing I can do if someone hit me on the back would be to try to jump on their car. Like if I'm going to get hit that hard, like jump on their car, their windshield, and mm-hmm. tell them to slow down, or <laughs> or move out of the way. You know. Did you I, tell me you saw that video of the guy who got hit on the motorcycle and, and he jumped on the car, landed on the car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like the people that do that, in my opinion, they just don't know. They don't understand motorcycles. They don't understand what's going on. I feel like it's 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 respect. That it's not like if the motorcycle guy is being ridiculous, like going fifty miles an hour, and you're in a seventy five. Well, yeah, go around them, honk at them. That makes sense. But if somebody's going eighty, seventy five, eighty, and the speed limit seventy five, don't be blowing up and be on their ass. That's what just I don't your, understand. Just go your speed limit. Like it, it doesn't make sense if someone. It just doesn't make sense. But being that I ride now and I am aware of that, the other thing I've noticed is the worst drivers are usually the women. I hate to say this. When I look at the cars who's on my ass, it's mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. It's not men. Typically, men will see you and wave at you mm-hmm. and they'll move out of your way. But it's usually women yeah. or old people yeah. who are the worst with bikes from what I've seen. Or people just don't give a crap. But I've seen more likely what I've noticed is truck drivers, like mm-hmm. big trucks, are usually pretty cool. They'll be like, hey, man, what's up? They'll wave at you or whatever. But I have had women on my butt. Like, I'm talking like 40, 50-year-old women that are just on our butts. Yeah. And we're like, we'll move out of the way. And you know what they'll do? They'll follow us. They'll get on. They'll get in our way, too. They'll go right behind. We'll move out of the way. They follow us. So we've seen that. Damn. Most of the time than not, what I'll eventually do is, like, tell them go around, and um, they'll eventually go around you. But, yeah. like, I'm not a huge fan. But at the same time, I'm not going to not ride because some people are on my ass. 
I've learned how to ride really well. So I know like if I had to get out of the way, I know how to get out of the way. I'm also in a small bike. I can go in the little bike lane. That's true. Um, so I know how to get out of the way. Yeah. But what I will say is riding in packs is more fun. Absolutely. Well, uh, we're getting ready to wrap this up. And I do want to touch on something that you said that I think a lot of people would be interested in hearing your sure. thoughts on. Sure. Um, which is you said that when you ride, you don't have a lot of anxiety because you feel like with your faith, if it's your time, it's your time. Sure. You want to speak to that and, and explain to people what you mean? So, yeah. So basically, um, this is kind of crazy. I'll, I'll share something with you. So when I went riding this weekend, um, with my buddy i he's been asking me to go riding with him for a while and i told him I'm like hey man i'm busy because i'm a dad i'm a family man you know i have real estate business everything and i get invited to do a lot of golfing friends i go to the gym you got a podcast i, I got a podcast <laughs> i hang out with my girl like we're going you know we have a lot going on so you know i finally was like hey let's go <clears throat> i prefer to go in like october november when it's cooler outside but he wanted to go and so i said let's go What's crazy is we drove up there and it was just serene. I mean, it's very green now. Arizona's got a lot of water. And the whole time I'm riding up there, I'm just like, God, this is so beautiful. Like everything that you have in this earth is amazing. And as I'm riding, I, I, I'm praying and I'm talking to God as I'm in my head, you know, when I'm riding. And um, we pull over at a breakfast, like a lunch place and it's, we order food and uh, we eat, we just chit chat. And then we go up to Payson. We go up to, sorry, not, we were in Payson. We go up to Strawberry. We stop at this little lavender farm. We get some stuff because <clears throat> I'm a big fan of lavender. And, uh, yeah, we're just chit-chatting. And um, on the way back, we stop at this lookout. And I'm looking out this huge, just beautiful landscape. And he, he looks at me. He go, He looks at me. And he goes, he's on his bike. I'm on my bike. And we get off walk. He goes, and I've never talked to him about my faith. I've never brought up God to him. I've never said anything to him. This guy, I've never talked to about this ever, not once. Okay. I didn't talk about it at all. Okay. And he goes, God's with you, man. I can feel God on you. And I was like kind of speechless. Like it's not something I've talked to him about. He's never, I've never told him my faith. I've never, we've never even talked. We don't even know each other that well. Yeah, he caught we, you off guard for sure. Yeah. He caught me off guard and, and I go, Oh, okay. Like, yeah. You know? And so he asked me some stuff and he goes, and I asked him about him and he goes, well, I'm spiritual. You know, I'm not a believer in religion, but I'm a believer in God and the, you know, so different, but similar. Right. And I didn't judge him. I was just like, oh, okay, cool. Well, you know, I'm glad you have faith, right? In some way, in some aspect or form. And that was it. It was weird. So like we drive back, you know, we get home. He, uh, we say, you know, say goodbye or whatever, you know, fist bump, whatever you do as guys, right? <laughs> fist bump, you know, sometimes you hug your buddies, whatever. I don't think it's gay to hug your friend. <laughs> no, no. And what's crazy about that is we live in such a, judgmental society about male affection yeah like i feel like it's so dysfunctional it, i don't have any children but if i had a son and i wasn't able to show the proper amount of physical affection to him because society thought that that was gay somehow or, or somehow weird. a weird thing yeah. it'd be such a weird thing i don't know how fathers do it yeah i mean what you do is they say you know you don't you don't live for the world you live for jesus right so for me i live for my god i don't live for the world but yeah, like we we said our you know said what up bye whatever, but well I so I go in my house and I see my kiddos and they're talking to me and they're like daddy you missed you you know the whole thing and then run up and like talk to me and all that. and um, 
I told Giselle, my lady, I was like, hey, I just want you to know, like, this was just, I told her exactly what happened. She's like, it is. She's like, when I met you, you had them all over you. She goes, and people see it. People feel it. And that's how I know my faith is unwary. And that's how I know that I'm on the right path. I know I'm on the right connection. And to throw you even another curveball. Mm-hmm. So you know how we go to Lifetime? Yeah. Okay. There was. I mean, you've been going to the Biltmore. With, you know, you've been hitting up the Biltmore spot. It's been oh, over there looking dope. Yeah, I. You gotta go. It's I, sick. I want to. I can get I you. I can to. get you in for for free. So you're at the at the Gilbert spot. So I go to the Gilbert gym, and um, I walked in there. This is probably what's it Thursday. So I went there Tuesday, and I thought I met your the, your buddy Marcus. Yeah. Right. And I told him I said, "Hey, you know my favorite movie?" He goes, "What?" I go, "Bad Boys." Marcus Burnett. I go, now I'll always remember your name. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And so we started talking just randomly. He's like, hey, man, I, I listen to your podcast. You know, Marcus like, I listen to your podcast, man. I, I, I listened to like a first episode. I liked it. And I was like, oh, cool, man. I'm glad you listened to it. <clears throat> I said, you should listen to more of it. Because he's like, I got a house. You know, I might want to refi, pull some money. Out. I just don't know what to do with it. And I was like, well, if you, you know, I like anything. Like, I'm not desperate for business, but if you want my help, no problem. You know, cool, I'll help you. No strings attached. If you buy something, you don't buy something. No big deal. So he goes, all right, cool, cool, cool. So we just start talking, and he's like, you heard, you told me you were a believer last time that you believe in Jesus. And I said, yeah, I do. He goes, well, I just want to let you know something. I do too. I'm a believer too. And I said, cool. He goes, um, I actually used to go to the prisons and I had, and then he had a community center in Kansas City and some other places and he said that he's had some experiences that he's taken the roughest convict drug dealing pimps ho you know the whole thing he's got a crazy story and he's changed their lives yeah. in the name of Jesus and so he starts sharing me these stories well we're talking I'm talking to him about my stories and I'm talking to him this and that and I and then it was just crazy like I'm walking out I'm like hey I haven't been in here for 30 minutes I'm dying and so he's like, I'll walk out with you. So we walk out, we start talking. Well, these girls, literally these two girls look at us. I mean, he was there, he watched the whole thing. Hey, what's your name? And I just was like, I'm Justin, nice to meet you. Oh my God, what you just said, like we're believers that just touched our heart. You know, we really feel what you were saying. I go, thank you. And I just walked out when we were chit-chatting and we walked out. Well, it's crazy, but we live in a world where everybody's judging Right, we live in this judgment world. Like everybody's judging everybody, you know. And if you just take a minute to really just like say, "All right, this is my faith. This is my belief." Not one person attacked me verbally or said anything fucked up. Okay, but yet we watch on Facebook, we watch YouTube. That's all we see. Okay, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but at the same time, I think there's more people that are believers, believe in something. You know, it doesn't have to be religion. Let's just say believe in God, believe in that he's real. There's way more believers than non-believers in the world, in something. You know, if you look around the world, everybody's got some kind of faith or religion. Really, everybody. It's like 8 billion people and like 7 billion have religion, some shape or form. Even India, 100 different God, 150, whatever it is. You know, they have Allah in the Middle East, you got Jesus here, Catholicism, you know, Mormon. Like you got a lot of people that believe. 
my question is, why? Why are more people, and I'm not talking about what religion they pick, but why is everyone looking for that? And then Jan tells me, spiritual connection. He feels my spirit. He feels God around me. This is not a guy who's religious, but he's spiritual. Why? If there is no God or there's no nothing, why? Why talk to me about it? Why share things to me? Why bring up your stories that happened to you? The reality is we're all, it's all around us. We live in a world, it's everything around us is our thoughts. Well, what does the Bible say about God? Let there be life and life happened. He spoke it. Well, think about this. Look at everybody's books, Kevin Hart, 50 Cent. They speak what they want and it becomes their reality. Like fact. Now they don't you don't have to sit there and argue religion with me on this. You just say, okay, well why is a, why can they speak life? Say these things. Even Tony Robbins says the same thing. He goes, I'm not a big religious guy, but I believe in the universe that we have power and this exists, right? Yeah, he was one of the first people I ever heard speaking, you know, speaking into existence the idea yeah. of the things that you wanted to achieve. Yeah. Yeah, so if that exists, why? If there was no like the universe didn't have some kind of pull, right? Or some kind of Gravity. Yeah. I mean, even like a genie granting your wishes, right? Mm -hmm. So like you think about the concept of a genie. Why do you go to a genie and grant your your wishes? What is that really an image of? It's God, an all-powerful being. That's what a genie is. And therefore, you could say God is kind of like an all-powerful genie. You know, you ask God what you want and he shows you it. Now, it doesn't happen overnight or this or that. It's not the instant ratification like a genie is in the movies. But it does exist. Like you ask God, like I'm telling you right now, Graydon, if you asked God for... Hey man, I wanna God, I want you to give me the blessing to get a, a house. And then you wrote it down. And then you 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 believed it. You spoke it. You probably have one. Um, the same thing goes with cars, the same thing goes with a wife, the same thing goes with um, family. Speak it into life. Um, and it blew me away because I didn't talk to him about that at all. So it's interesting when people see it and they're like, wow, something different about you. I feel it. Yeah. That's not something I can fake. I can't fake that. Yeah. I think it's interesting because, you know, that energy is not only contagious, but it's visible, right? Like sure. you said, the girls came up to you and said, hey, we appreciated what you said. Yeah, they felt We something. share the same faith. Yeah. You know, that that's visible, right? Yeah. Like you see energy on people regardless of what that energy is. And I think that's important, whether you're on the, the believer side or you don't believe, right? What's, what's beautiful, though? About it? So- so like, well, no, I'm asking like, what makes someone beautiful? Is it their physical appearance or their energy? Oh, I think it's way more energy than the physical appearance. Because the physical beauty beauty doesn't last but a short shelf life of, let's say, oh, yeah, you're, you're 20 years old to maybe you're 40. And then you start to decline, right? Like maybe you don't, you don't keep up in the same shape or something happens to physical well, injury or something black, like that. You're black. They don't crack. That's what they say. I mean, I've, seen, <laughs> I've seen Martin Wayans. He's 51. Looks great. Crazy. You know, I've seen a lot of these, these, these guys I've seen. They're 55, 60 years old, 70 even. Look at Morgan Freeman. What is he, 100? I, that's funny. I think Kevin Hart's going to age great. Yeah, I think your boy's going to yeah. age real yeah, well because yeah, yeah. he's got the youthful exuberance yeah. in his yeah, yeah. smile. And he's and happy, I, though. Yeah. For sure. And, yeah. and that's another thing. I feel like if you if you are visibly content yeah. with what you're doing in life, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're genuinely happy with what you're doing, yep. 
you don't age as quickly. True. And I don't mean that in the sense of it's like, oh, I got a stressful, you know, household and my kids. No, that's not what I'm saying because most people love their kids, right? It's work. I also think working out is proven to have those benefits. Um, having a social life, like you said, loving your life is, is also proven. Eating well. Eating nutrition. well, what you eat is improvement, is, is that too. But also having love, right? Having love in your life is also great. Yeah. And any kind of love. It could be a dog, an animal, a kid, you know. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because, you know, as we wrap this up and, and people know my quote unquote ideological leanings and all that type of stuff. But I always tell people, man, I'm always interested in in people's positions as it pertains to how they view not only the world, but reality, their connection to you know maybe a spiritual connection or something like that, because I think it's it's an interesting conversation to have in the melting pot of America that we were talking about earlier. The reason why we consider this the greatest country in the world is because you can have a Christian and an atheist have a podcast together <laughs> and have this conversation. And, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, a religious, you know, fight or, you know, a persecution of, of him being this or me being that or anything like that. So I think hopefully people can take this example and see, you know what, if you want to share your faith with someone of uh, who's not a faith Feel comfortable with doing that. And if if you're comfortable with that person sharing their experience with you, you should probably be, feel comfortable with that as well. So, Justin, I appreciate your perspective on that. Um, I think a lot of people who listen to you would probably agree and, and share your experience. So for those people, I totally understand. And for anybody else who has any questions about Justin's experience, either with his faith or his business or his positive mindset training or anything like that, you guys can always email us the Justin broker podcast at gmail.com. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share with the people? Yeah. I want to say that, um, I would say that more times than not that, um, I think a lot of people out there are listening, right. And hearing this and hearing us and, and going, wow, you know, I like, I like what I hear. You know, this is interesting. But I think more times than not, take action. Like, what are people doing to take action? Is I want to hear from anybody who's actually taken the advice that we've given in the last few episodes yep. and actually done something with it. You know, I, instead of asking all these questions, maybe they could tell us, like, hey, I listened to the podcast. I really got influenced. I'm going to start my own barbershop or I'm going to start a business. Or, I started, I'm going to buy a gas station. Whatever it is, I'm going to start my own clothing line. I'm going to do an Amazon store. I'm going to do Walmart. Whatever it is. But I think it's important to to see if anybody's actually listening to it and it's actually taking this to heart. Because I know people have told me, you know, listen to this, it's great. But what are they actually taking it? Are they using it? Do they want to use it? If you're on the, you know, you're on the toilet so seat, seat and you're like, hey, what do I do? You know, if you're listening to my podcast, taking a poop, cool. <laughs> you know? But I think it would be um, great if people actually um, spoke and told us. Because... I'll tell you guys, like, look, my life doing this podcast, this is not um, how I make my money. I don't get paid doing this. I'm not loaded from this podcast. Um, this podcast costs me money, but the information is free and we're getting it out to you guys. I just want more people to really, like, consume this knowledge and tell us if it's working for them, if any of this stuff that we talk to them is actually helping them doesn't have to just be a question. It could be just a statement like, Hey, my name is so-and-so. And you know, this, I did what you are doing, what you're listening to. And I'm being more positive and I, this is actually helping me and I'm growing and I'm realizing this because that's what we want to hear. Cause sometimes, yeah. sometimes you might not have a question. Maybe we're answering all your questions. Agreed. 
but you actually had an experience and you want to tell us. So just want to say that. Absolutely. Well, Justin, as always, much appreciate the information yeah. and the insight as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan, you know me. So <laughs> I'm always trying to hear, hear what you have to say. Uh, whether we agree on everything or not is always beside the point. I think yeah, what it's you have good. to say is, is valuable. You know, oh, you so. already, you already, it's already like whether you believe it or not, it's already there. Yeah, no, it's for sure, all, it's all around you, bro. No, that's okay. That's there's, why you're here. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's you're why here, I like being you're here. You're here because you got you got a calling, man. Yeah, you got a calling, but we all have callings. The difference is you'll realize eventually. Hopefully, one day you'll see it. Okay. Well, for the Justin Broker uh, podcast, my name is Graydon Square with our host, uh, Justin Fromstein, for the Justin Broker Show. If you guys have any questions, don't forget you guys can email us whenever you want. Um, we will see you guys next week. All right, guys. Bye. Peace, peace. 